Amen. Good morning, church. Um, some of you, I think most of you know me. My name's Matt Ortiz. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, I would love to meet you after the service. So please introduce yourself to me afterwards if we've not uh, talked yet. Um, you know, on a, on a side note, we are part of a church, a worldwide church planting organization called Acts 29. And uh, one of our sister churches in Acts 29 is the Resolved Church, uh, down by where the five and the eight uh, inter intersect. And uh, the pastor of that church, his name is Dwayne Smets, and he has just been an encourager to me personally, a good friend uh, to me uh, personally. I've preached for him, he's preached for me. And uh, what's great also is that uh, music guys help each other out as well. Josh has helped like, like 23 different churches just in San Diego, right? Somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, but he's also gotten to know uh, Ryan Leach, and he served us well this morning. Would you give him a hand for his sacrifice? Thank you very much, brother. Thank you. It's good having you here, man. I, I love just the camaraderie between uh, churches with the same focus and the same goal. It's, it's really encouraging to me. So um, we've got a... Uh, 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 Let's see, two more weeks after today in our series on King David. And I've been, I've been encouraged as I look at, at King David and, and seeing the gospel throughout uh, the story of his, his life. And, um, you know, what we're going to be doing this morning is um, kind of looking at the last handful uh, of chapters. There's a common theme that kind of goes through it, through it all. So we're not just taking a chunk and picking it apart, we're just kind of flying high over these, these chapters, um, but my goal is to bring it uh, down to earth so we see what, what uh, it's trying to, to teach us here. And as we start, I want you to do something. I want you to think. I want you to, to think about the friends that you have in your life, your best friends, the ones who are there for you. I want you to think about the friends that you wish that you had in your life. I also want you to think about the friends you wish weren't in your life. And maybe you're going through that right now. But I want you to keep all that in mind as we go through uh, this, this message, right? And here's the deal. The Bible, from cover to cover, makes a really big deal about friendships. In fact, the Bible teaches that spiritual friendships last forever. They last forever, and here's why. Now, try wrapping your head around this. The God of the Bible is a triune God. That means he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. That also means that from eternity, our triune God always lived in relationship, perfect relationship, perfect Friendship, perfect community. You look through uh, uh, Proverbs, you come across Proverbs 8, and you see God and this one called wisdom rejoicing in one another as they create the heavens and the earth and, and they delight in the work of their hands with the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters to bring forth life. And what we learn in the scriptures is that the purpose of creation is to bring us into the perfect joy 
of friendship with God. The creator of the heavens and earth, the sustainer of the heavens and earth. Life is all about friendship. But then in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve eventually reject God's friendship. And the result is absolutely catastrophic. A cancer infects all relationships with pride and shame. And Adam and Eve try to hide from God, and and they hide from each other, and then the masks go on, and the blame shifting starts, and the cancer spreads. In the next chapter, their son Cain kills his brother Abel, and the cancer continued to spread. And you know this is true. All you got to do is look at the news, right? And we also need to look at ourselves. Because the truth is, we're all infected with this cancer, with this sin. We all fail to one degree or another to be true friends to each other. And on top of that, you know that's true because we've all been ripped off and hurt by other people as well. The Bible says there is one true friend. And he came to us for one purpose, and that purpose is to restore friendship, true friendship. Through his death and resurrection, he made it possible for us to enter into relationship, a friendship with God, and friendship with each other. That's the gospel. And you know what? Here's, here's the deal. The gospel doesn't just bring you, uh, you know, deeper into the heart of God or, or deeper into serving the world. It also sends you deeper into relationship with other people who are following Jesus. Now, David's life teaches us a lot about spiritual friendship, especially in this last handful of chapters, chapter 15 through 19. We're going to bounce around there for a bit. And we see four, at least four valuable lessons. And we don't have slides today, but you do have, uh, as usual, your, your notes in your bulletin, and you can follow along with that. And the first lesson is this, you need spiritual friendships. You absolutely need spiritual friendships. And we see that in our story. David is on the run and fleeing Jerusalem again. Remember when he had to do that earlier because King Saul was out to get him, was out to, was out to kill him? Well, he's on the run again. Over the past few years, and if you remember, if you've been following us in this, in this series, David was just hit with one crushing problem after another, just constantly getting beat down. Now, the bottom falls out. His own flesh and blood, his son, whom he loves, Absalom, he's leading a revolt. He's turning the hearts of the people, a lot of the people, against Uh, David and his attempt is to overthrow him and take the throne for himself. And so David is forced to escape again before he and his followers are captured or even killed. It was rough when King Saul was after him. And now he flees his son. He flees the city, he flees his people. This is another darkest moment. It's like one darkest moment after another. And on the run... He comes into one friend after another. And these friends, they give him strength, they give him encouragement, they give him help in his time of need. Remember, listen, 
King David was the greatest warrior who ever lived, the greatest warrior of, of all time, the toughest guy to ever walk the planet besides G King Jesus himself, and he needed friends. He desperately needed friends. To need friendship is not weakness. It's healthy. It's a sign of maturity. Now, in Genesis 2, before sin entered into the, to the picture, we have a perfect Adam in perfect paradise. I mean, repeatedly, God is, you know, God is creating things, and repeatedly, after he creates something, he steps back, and you remember what he declares? He makes something, and he says, it is good. That's right. And then he creates Adam, and he says, it is not good. Why did he say that? Because he was alone and lonely. And, and not because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. He had a perfect life, but he needed friends. At this point, paradise was incomplete. So listen, if you are lonely, you are not dysfunctional. You are normal. All right? You're lonely because God didn't make you a tree or a rock. You are wired to need spiritual friends, and that desire is good, that desire is right, that desire is godly. And, and, and there's something I notice every now and then. Some people, some people try to pull away. Try to isolate themselves. You don't want to need friends because you've been let down or, or you've been burned. But listen, here's the deal. The less you want friends, the less human you are. I mean, you can try to suppress that desire for friends for a while, but it can't last. It won't work. The title of this message is called Friends. Who needs them? To answer that question, you you need friends, and so do I, no matter what we try to tell ourselves. All right, next. Your next point, if you're taking notes, spiritual friendships, they can be discovered. All right, and I'll explain what I mean. Psalm 3 that Reuben read before, we got, uh, before I got up here has a note at the very beginning in the scripture. It says, a psalm of David when he was on the run from King Abs excuse me, from his son Absalom. So this is what he wrote when his son was out to get him. And then David goes on to say, he's praying, he's saying, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glorious one, who lifts my head, and to the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers my prayer on his holy hill. know how God shields David? Do you know how he protects David? Do you know how he lifts David's head? Do you know how God answers his prayer for that protection? For that help? For that encouragement? He answers that prayer by sending David friends. You know what? There is a bond 
a strong bond between people who are loyal to and love King Jesus. A bond like you can't find anywhere else. The saints of old called it a, a mystical sweet communion. Now, I, I remember I got to spend a month in Thailand with, in, in the hill tribes with the Akka and the Lahu tribes, and, and then a month in the, the Kabira slum in Nairobi in, in Africa, both different sides of the world, and they couldn't be more different than each other, and they couldn't be any more different than me. I could not be any more different than them. I mean, things were totally different. In Thailand, when we had soup, we all sat around one bowl, and everybody had a spoon, and everybody ate out of the same bowl, and there were chicken feet in there, (laughs) all right? It was a little different. Lots of differences. But we had a common loyalty and a love for King Jesus, and so there was this automatic bond, despite the fact that we are different than each other. My wife and I, my wife Shannon and I, are totally different than each other. For example, I love all blues. I love them. They're great. And Shannon is an unapologetic fan of big hair glam bands of the 80s. She loves it. Bands, I don't know if you heard of them or not, bands like Warrant and White Lion and Def Leppard. See, she's cheering already. And even though she likes that music, I still love her. Because she loves Jesus. And it's a good, no. I love her for countless other reasons also. And there are so many other ways that we're totally different. But there is not another person on this planet that I love more than my wife, Shannon. In chapter 15 of our story, in in verse 24, uh, Zadok, the priest, was with David. and, And it says that all the Levites were carrying the ark of God. And then they set down the ark and they worshiped together. And here's the deal. Here's what I have found out. That if you are worshiping God with someone, it doesn't matter how who they are, when you are worshiping God with someone, it brings you together. It binds your hearts together. There is an incredible bond that happens when you both have a loyal devotion to King Jesus. You have potential to have a loyal devotion to each other. That's how this works. I remember I started uh, a while ago a discipleship group with a, a group of three called DNA groups, right? a discipleship group with my longtime best friend, Tony Escobedo, and my friend, Shem McNew. Now, Tony and Shem, they, <clears throat> they did not know each other when we started. But together, when we got together, we focused on King Jesus and who he is and, and what he has done and, and how we could love King Jesus more and be more loyal to him in, in, in our lives in, in response to what he has done for us. And now Tony and Shem are fast friends. And neither one of them talked to me anymore. <laughs> That's not true. We're tight. But it was amazing to see these two different guys who never met each other become brothers. And I watched it happen before my eyes. And here's the deal. You know what? The truth, we talk about DNA groups. We do not have a leader to help you get involved in DNA groups right now. 
out. So here's the deal. You want to get involved in a DNA group, I personally will make sure that that happens. You come see me, and we'll, I'll do what I can to pair you up with a couple of other, other people. We're going to make that happen, all right? It happens best if you're already involved in a crowded house. And that adds another layer of community within our crowded house groups. So talk to me, and we'll take care of that. There is nothing that, that, that shapes you spiritually like that kind of community. You know, later in the, uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, writes a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And what he says in that letter is he says, maintain, he says, maintain the spirit of unity. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say establish the spirit of unity. You know why he doesn't say that? Because it's already there. It's already, it already exists in Christ. It's already been established. But it is only discovered when you become less and less concerned about yourself, less and less concerned about your wants, your demands, your needs, your desires, and more concerned with your love and loyalty to King Jesus. That is what creates spiritual friendship with others who have the same love and loyalty, even people who are totally different than you. I mean, just look at us. I mean, look around. We are very different from each other. The way we dress, the way we talk, the different backgrounds, different political parties, different cultures, different types of music. You know, when you become a follower of Jesus, I mean, you don't change where you're from. You don't become a cookie-cutter Christian. We're all different. But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're younger or older, professional or homeless, black, white, Asian, Latino, if you experience the grace of Jesus, you not only get along with people you never got along with before, but you love them. And you seek them out. And you welcome them. And you serve them. And here's the deal. To the extent that you love Jesus, you will love people you never even wanted to spend time with before. See, if Jesus is most, if King Jesus is most important to you, and not your own demands, and your own wants, and your own needs, if King Jesus is most important to you, you will discover new friends, spiritual friendships that last forever. But guess what? They're not just discovered. Your third point in your notes, spiritual friendships are developed. So they're not just discovered, they're made, they are cultivated. And we see that in the friends who come to David when, when he is on the run. Each of these friends that he runs into puts David before their own interests. And a true friend says, "You look, I am more interested in you than, than what's in it for me or whatever I can get out of it. I'm willing to sacrifice my comfort, my safety, my resources in order to serve you, even if I don't feel like you're reciprocating on that. Okay? So first, I'm going to go through a few of these friends in your notes um, under spiritual friendships are developed. The first one is a, a true friend is for you. What do you need when you are in trouble? 
You need someone who will stand with you. Like David's friend, Ittai the Gittite. Ittai. So, the king set out, it says in uh, chapter 15, verse 17, the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. And all of his men marched past him. And all 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. Now, the Gittites were from Gath. Does that ring a bell if you've been with us for a while? Do you remember who was from Gath? It was Goliath. Give that person a gold star. She was listening. Goliath. I mean, he was from Gath, and Gath was the capital, the headquarters of the enemies of Israel, the main enemies of Israel, the the Philistines. How in the world did they get there with David? Long story short, David spent time with them earlier, and God changed their hearts. So they wanted to follow God, so much so that they even went into exile with David, and they became friends. In uh, chapter 15, verse 19, it says, the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, listen to what he says. He says, uh, David says to Ittai, um, this guy from, from Gath, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. And today shall I make you wander about with us when I don't even know where I'm going? Go back and take your countrymen and may kindness and faithfulness be with you. But Ittai replied to the king. And this is what he says. He says, as surely as the Lord lives and as surely as my Lord the king lives, Wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will I, your servant, be. That is a friend. David is just run, he's a run-down man at this point. And Ittai, the Gittite, goes to him and says, look, listen, whether you like it or not, I'm standing with you. If they kick you while you're down, I'm with you. If they feed you to the dogs, count me in. If the whole world rejects you, I will not reject you. And I am not looking for what's in it for me or what you could do for me. I'm just blessed by this friendship. A true friend is for you. Next, a true friend takes risks. What do you need when you're in trouble? whether it be financial trouble or relational difficulties or health problems or just intense pressure at work or in your family. I mean, you need someone who is willing to get involved and help solve the problem, right? And I know the thought. I know, I know this thought really well. The thought is, but if I put myself on the line, it'll mess up my life. I might even get hurt. That's what a friend does. And like David's friend, Hushai the Archite. Chapter 15, verse 32, when David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the Archite was there to meet him. And it says that his robe was torn and there was dust on his head. It sounds like he was in a fight, right? 
but he wasn't. He was in mourning and praying because his friend David was in trouble. Well, who was this guy? Well, you know what? We don't know much except that he was a wise and aged counselor and he was David's friend. That's about all we know. And David says to him in verse 33, says, he says to his friend, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. Now, a, an acquaintance would be offended by that, but not a good friend. And he says, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be, and say, say to the son, my son, who's trying to kill me, say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. And then David says to his friend, then you can help me by frustrating the advice of his counselors and then send word to me of anything you hear. Basically, David is saying, you can help me by going back to Jerusalem and being a spy. Act like you're Absalom's friend and, and, and undermine his advisor's counsel. And you know what? That's exactly what Cushai did. And he saved David's life. He was able to, to get Absalom to delay a strike, which gave David time to strengthen his men and add to his forces and get through a vulnerable time. Hushai risked his life for his friend. And then next, a true friend helps with practical needs. Now, it says in chapter 17, verse 27, when David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, Makir, and Barzillai, these guys brought bedding and bulls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey, curds and sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. So David and his people are in the wilderness, and here comes these three dudes with sleeping bags, plates, utensils, good food, and and beverages for everyone. Why? Verse 29, for they said, the people have become hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. This right here is rubber meets the road friendship. Coming through in practical ways. And the cool thing is that David didn't even ask for that. He had no expectations. He didn't, I mean, if, he was just blessed. Now, could these guys find a reason not to help David in this time? Of course. I mean, each of them had good reasons not to get involved. I mean, look at Barzillai. In, in chapter 19, we learn that, that he's 80 years old at the time, and he could have said, you know what? I am tired and retired. I put in my time. Let the young people do all of this stuff. But you know what? Friends come through when we're tired, hungry, and thirsty in the desert. They put their friends before their own needs. Let me tell you something. On a personal level, I have experienced that from you all, personally. My family and I have. I mean, you have blessed me enormously with that kind of friendship. And it's humbling. And it's encouraging. And it gives me strength. God shows me his love and answers my prayers through people like you. And you know what? I look at your example and I look at the examples of, that we just ran through right here. And I think I am a horrible friend. <laughs> I fail 
all the time at this stuff. I think we all do. So how do we grow in that? Well, it comes down to understanding that spiritual friendships are pointers. And I'll explain what I mean. That's your last main main point. They spiritual friendships point beyond themselves. And you know what? We see that in a sense in each of David's friends, but especially in Mephibosheth. Can you all say Mephibosheth? Say Mephibosheth. <laughs> now say Mephibosheth three times fast. Mephibosheth. <laughs> I think Vicky just cussed right now trying to, trying to say that. <laughs> Who is Mephibosheth? Well, you know what? We ran through a few friends. We're going to camp out with this guy for a little bit for the, the rest of this, this message. Remember at the beginning of our, our series, David is anointed as a boy and he's chosen by God to be Israel's king. Well, King Saul, the current king, he didn't like that too much. So he hated David and for years tried to kill David. And then here's what's interesting. King Saul's son, Jonathan, was about the same age as, as David at the time. King Saul, who's trying to kill David, King Saul's son, Jonathan and David became the best of friends. And eventually, Jonathan, David's best friend, had a son. And his son was named Mephibosheth. Now, when Mephibosheth was five years old, his dad, Jonathan, and his granddad, King Saul, were killed in battle. And when Mephibosheth's nanny found out, she panicked because she knew that King David would be the new king. And the custom of the day was that the new king would kill all of the descendants of the previous king. And she knew that was going to happen here because she knew how much, you know, trouble King Saul has caused David. So they ran. And they were in such a rush that Mephibosheth had a horrible fall and permanently crippled both of his feet. They fled east of Israel into the desert, and they settled in a little one-horse town called Lodabar, which means no pasture. This is basically El Centro, right? And Mephibosheth lived there for years, wondering if he'd be tracked down and killed. And guess what? He was tracked down, and he was brought before King David. And he knew that he was a dead man. But David says to him, don't be afraid. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all of your grandfather's land, all of King Saul's land to you, and you will always eat at my table as one of my sons. Mephibosheth woke up that morning in a shack in a desert, and later that day he is dining in the palace with the king as one of the king's sons. He inherited all of his granddad's land. All of the land that, that his granddad, King Saul, had was now his. And then David, King David, also assigns a servant named Ziba 
to help Mephibosheth manage this insane inheritance that he just got. Fast forward years later to a story today in this fable to fleeing Jerusalem. He's running from his son, Absalom. And then when he and, his, and the people who are following him, when they get over that, that first hill, David runs into the servant, Ziba. And, and, and Ziba was there with supplies, you know, for David, to help David along because and, and, uh, David needed him. And, and David asks uh, Ziba, the servant, he's all, where's Mephibosheth? I mean, we got to get out of here. Ziba lies. And he tells David that Mephibosheth was staying back to, in Jerusalem to become king. And thinking Mephibosheth betrayed him, David says to Ziba, you know what, all of that land that used to belong to King Saul that I gave to Mephibosheth, it's yours now. That's why he lied. Fast forward again. David, I mean, it's just, oh, time's horrible this fast. David finally, his army finally defeats Absalom's army. And David is now marching back into Jerusalem to reclaim his throne. And Mephibosheth finds out that, that King David is coming home, and he runs out. Well, he doesn't run out. He gets help, I'm sure, uh, one way or another. He goes out. He made it a point. As difficult as it was for him to move, he put in the effort to go out and meet King David. And David looks at him, and he sees that Mephibosheth had not taken care of his feet. He had not taken care of his beard. He had not washed his clothes or himself since the day that David was exiled until the day King David came back home to return safely. He had been in mourning for King David. And David, David asks him, he says, why didn't you go with me? And Mephibosheth says, you know what? I planned to. I got all set to go with you. But Ziba betrayed me. He lied to you about me. But you are like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. All of my grandfather Saul's descendants deserve nothing but death, including me, he says. But you, you give me a seat at your table as one of your sons. And he says, basically, I could never ask for anything. I could never possibly ask for anything more than that. This guy was slandered to the king, a king that he loves, and he had everything taken away. And what does David say to this loyal friend? David says, why say more? You and Ziba can decide between yourselves. This is a lazy, lame judgment. I mean, God sent, you know, one friend after another to help David in his time of need. And Mephibosheth is one of his most loyal friends. And, and Mephibosheth should get everything. It would have been just for Mephibosheth to get everything back to, that, that, that was taken away from him. And it would have been just for Ziba to be locked up. But David doesn't really want to deal with it, so he fails to be a friend back to Mephibosheth. How would you feel if someone lied about you and took all your stuff? Angry? Bitter? 
verse 30. But Mephibosheth said to the king, let him have everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. He responds with gratitude. (laughs) Not anger, not bitterness, not what's in it for me? David is a lame friend. He responds with gratitude. He says, I don't care about what you can give me. I don't care about the land. I don't care about the benefits. I'm just thankful that you're safe and sound. And, and, and you knowing that I was loyal is, is, is enough. I don't care about what's in it for me. My joy is to serve your interests, not my own. He makes no demands whatsoever. How in the world could he respond like that? Here's why. He had tasted grace. Listen to what he says. He says, my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave me, your servant, a place among those who sat at your table. And that, right there, points us to the gospel. He's he's saying, I deserved nothing but death, but you adopted me as a child of the king. As long as I'm your friend, I don't need anything else. You know what? He doesn't have to worry about what's in it for him because he knows that it's all of grace. And did you notice what he said right before this? He said, my Lord, the king is like an angel of God. The word angel means messenger. They communicate to people on behalf of God, that God is a God of grace. He doesn't give us the eternal death that we deserve. Instead, he adopts us as his own children and invites us into close friendship with himself. And we eat at his table as his sons and daughters. I mean, what else could we possibly want or need? I mean, really, is there anything in this world better than that? Well, we act like there is all the time. David showed grace to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. And God shows us grace, shows us grace for the sake one greater than Jonathan. See, spiritual friendships are pointers to the one true friend. And that's your last point on this outline. Spiritual friendships are pointers to the one true friend. There really is a true friend, and he came to restore true friendship. He put the needs of his friends before his own. They were, they were always, his friends were always letting him down, uh, and, and he was always loyal to them. Uh, He ate with them, and he walked with them, he talked with them, he prayed with them, he shared his deepest thoughts and desires with them. That's why the Gospels are so long, because they're they're living life together in community. And then he told his disciples that he must die, and they didn't get it. When the time came near for him to be crucified, he asked his friends to spend some time with him that night, uh, the night before, praying with him. But they fell asleep. In his time of greatest need, they weren't there for him. He 
was arrested, and they all split. And one of them betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Another denied that he even knew him. But Jesus still called them his friends. He didn't say, you guys are lame. I'm out. You're on your own. He still called them friends. And he was willing to die for them. Jesus said in John, the Gospel of John, greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. And that's exactly what he did. He was beaten and mocked and spit on and nailed to a cross. And his father pulled away because Jesus took on the sin of the world, the cancer that destroyed friendship. And he died for his friends so that sin and shame could be destroyed and that we could be restored to friendship with God and friendship with one another forever. And on the third day, the father raised him from the dead. And what was the first thing that Jesus does? He goes to his friends the ones that bailed on him. He went to his friends because he considered them his friends and he went to give them hope, to assure them that their sins were forgiven. He goes to Peter who denied even knowing him and embraced him and he gives them meaning and purpose and he goes to Thomas who was filled with doubts and, and shows him the wounds in his hands and in his side and let him touch him and, and he he came to his friends in their, in their time of greatest need. There is one true friend, and his name is Jesus. Do you know him as your Savior? Do you know him as your Lord? Do you also know him as your friend? He is for you. And he is with you. He is with you to take away the guilt. And to give you the assurance that your sin has been forgiven. He is with you to take away depression and despair. And to give you hope and purpose worth dying for. He is with you to take away loneliness and to give you his friendship because there is no friendship better than friendship with him. He is with you to take away your fear of death and to take away your fear of life and to tell you, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. What a friend 